What is your name? We usually ask that question in order to get to know a person better, but not in this case. When Jesus asked this question in our text, that is Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39, he was not trying to get to know this person better. This was the power of Jesus confronting a multitude of demons. And when it did, the demons trembled and fled, begging for mercy. Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39. Then they sailed, Jesus and his disciples, to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out, and by the way, I should have told you that as I'm reading this, uh, wherever you see bold print, hopefully they did capture it, I'm not sure if they did, but wherever you see bold print, I'm going to want you to repeat those uh, phrases with me. If, if it's not there, oh, that's fine. I will prompt you then. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm glad I said that because I, I would have presumed that you saw it and that you weren't reading. All right? So I will prompt you for when you need to read these phrases with me. When Jesus had stepped out on land, they met him, a man from the city, who had demons. And you're going to say with me, for a long time. For a long time. Beautiful. He had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And here's where you will join me for these words, when he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was taken on the guard and bound with chains and shackles, but, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, and you will say with me, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found a man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, and you will say these words with me, a whole sentence, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. 
There are several ways that I would like us to unpack this story this morning. First of all, I want us to look at the despair of the demoniac, the despair of this demon-possessed man. Luke tells us that they met him, a man from the city who had demons. When you look at both the NASB and the message versions, they say, who was possessed by demons? He not only had them, he was possessed by them. He was in their grasp. And so if there was ever a person who was completely under the power of demons, it was this man. He was possessed by a multitude of demons, which is what the word legion means, multitude. And so literally, no person, nobody whatsoever could restrain him. Law enforcement couldn't do it. Prisons couldn't do it. Reform institutions couldn't. This multitude of demons controlled him. And so they forced him, first of all, to live in nakedness for a long time. Now, nakedness is a sign of shame. And this man lived in shame. They forced him to live in isolation. He made his, to I'm sorry, he made his home among the tombs, among the dead. They forced him to live in torment. He cut himself with stones. He self-mutilated. He did so until he bled. They forced him to live under their demonic power, and he could not break free from it whatsoever. This man's condition could be summed up in one word, despair. Despair. Now, can you imagine what it is like to be at the mercy of a multitude of demons? Not just one, but a multitude. Who torment you, who order you around day and night. They torment you physically. They torment you emotionally. That is no condition to be in, and that was his condition, in fact. But I want you to pay attention to what I consider to be the most important words in this text. There met him, meaning Jesus, a man from the city who had demons. There met him. This was a face-to-face -face encounter that he had with Jesus. But this was no accident. This was not an accidental meeting by any chance. Their paths didn't just happen to cross. I believe that Jesus stepped off of the boat at the very moment that he would cross paths with this demon-possessed man who was being tormented by a multitude of demons. And so he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he would never be the same after that. Now, no one who ever meets Jesus is ever the same. So you haven't met Jesus. <laughs> That's what you're telling me because you have not affirmed this statement. No one who ever meets Jesus is ever the same after that. And you say, yes, yes. amen. I knew that you had it in there somewhere. <laughs> All right? So he was never the same. And you are never the same after you meet Jesus. 
So I want to say to you this morning that if you're in despair for any reason, if you need hope for your despair, if you need beauty for your ashes, if you need the oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness, Jesus can't wait to meet you this morning and to offer you hope. I'm told that a Native American man was asked how he met Jesus. And as you all know, illustrations speak better than any words. And so he went and got a pile of dry leaves, and he got an earthworm, and he put the earthworm in the middle of the um, pile of dry leaves, and he lit the dry leaves um, on fire. And then at the very last moment, he pulled the earthworm out of the burning leaves. He said, that is how I met Jesus, in my despair. Jesus delivered me. So we not only look at the despair of the demoniac, the demon-possessed man, but I want us to look at the power of the master. Luke tells us that when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you. Do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now, how many of you this morning know that the power of demons is no match for the power of the master, the power of Jesus? Amen. Let us ask ourselves the question, what happened when this demon-possessed man met Jesus? Luke tells us that he fell on his face before him which is what people back then did whenever they were in the presence of somebody who was in authority. They fell on their face. That's what the man does. He fell on his face before the one that he recognizes as the son of the most high God. Now, how did he recognize that this was the son of of the Most High God, or rather, how did the demons inside him recognize that they were in the presence of the Son of the Most High God? Well, Luke tells us that he had commanded them to come out of the man. And when Jesus did that, because obviously he spoke with authority. And when he spoke with authority, these demons recognized the power with which he spoke. And so they had no choice but to fear and to tremble, and to come out from wherever they were. Now, there's a reason why we call Jesus Master, which is also another word for Lord. And we sang about it this morning. There's a reason we call him Master, because there is nothing that he cannot handle. That's a a point right out of last week's message. How many of you remember that message that my friend delivered? Wasn't he good last week? Wasn't he? Yes, he was. There is nothing that he cannot handle. And so if there is nothing that Jesus cannot handle, there is no storm that he cannot still. There is no sickness that he cannot heal. There is no grief that he cannot comfort. There is no empty nest that he can't be present in, Jenny. There is no mountain that he cannot move. There is no valley that he will not walk you through. There is no need that he cannot supply. There is no chain that he cannot break. There is no demon that he cannot cast out because 
He is Lord. He's master. That is why we call Jesus Lord. So let us reaffirm our faith in the one who is indeed Lord over every circumstance that we face this morning. He is Lord. Thirdly, we look at the compliance of legion. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now why does Jesus ask this man his name? Why does he ask him his name? Because your name is your identity. The more, your name is the most important asset that you have. That's why Proverbs says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Your name is your most important asset. Your name is your identity. Your name represents the potential that your parents saw in you when they named you. Now, I never asked my mom why she named me Theodore, and I happen to like that name very well, by the way. But I never asked her why she named me that. But I later learned that the name Theodore is a combination of two Greek words, theos, which means God, and doron, which means gift. And so when you combine them together, it means gift of God. So you understand then why I, lo I love my name so much. <laughs> Apart from the sound of it, I love what it means. So your name represents your identity, who you are as a person. It also represents your purpose, the purpose um, that your parents would like to see you accomplish, the potential that they saw in you. And so this man identified himself as legion because there was a multitude of demons inside him. That is, that is how he saw himself, legion. Now, did you notice how differently these demons interacted with the man from how differently they interacted with Jesus? Do you notice the difference? First of all, we notice that they tormented the man. They stripped him of his clothes and his dignity. They forced him to live in nakedness. They forced him to cut himself with stones until he bled. They forced him to live among the dead. But notice how they interact with Jesus. They cower in his presence. They cower in his presence. They beg him, and when you're begging somebody, you're at their mercy. They beg him not to torment him, not to torment them, I should say, but to, rather to let them go into the pigs so that they wouldn't perish in the abyss. And the abyss really is a reference to the place of the dead. It sometimes refers to the depths. It sometimes refers to the sea. And so they're being, they're, they are afraid of being cast into the abyss. So they beg Jesus' permission to inhabit the pigs that are grazing on the nearby hillside. What this means is that they're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of being punished by the master because they recognize that he has authority over him, over them, I'm sorry. So Jesus gives them permission. They are compliant. Because you see, at the power of Jesus, 
Demons have no choice but to tremble and to come out from wherever they are and flee. And then I want us fourthly to look at the request of the people. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. I asked myself as I read this, what could be greater than the power of Jesus freeing a man from a multitude of demons? What could be greater than that? Healing him so that he's now fully clothed, he's in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. What greater miracle can there be than that? And then I also ask myself, isn't it strange that these people are filled with fear rather than worship? Now, God has, Jesus has done, just done something amazing in their midst, and they are afraid rather than having a spirit of worship. It amazes me that they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid when the man was running around naked, deranged, bursting, bursting chains, cutting himself. But now, he, now that he is delivered from his demons, he's free from them, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed, and in his right mind, they are afraid. So what are they afraid of? Of the man? No. I believe that they are afraid of the power of Jesus that freed the man. Because, you see, now that they're in the presence of the power of Jesus, who has just delivered a man from a multitude of demons, they recognize that this is no ordinary man. This is a man of authority and power. They are afraid of the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus has just disrupted the homeostasis. That's a big word that simply means their normal functioning. Your normal way of functioning is called your homeostasis. Christina knows that well because that's a counseling term as well. Jesus has disrupted the homeostasis of the city. The city thrived on the dysfunction of the man. That is what cause them to function. And now that this man has been delivered of his demons and his dysfunction, these men are afraid that the power of Jesus will force them to change. And they're not ready for that. They don't want to change. They don't want to change. Jesus has just disrupted the dysfunction of this city. And so rather than requesting Jesus to stay, and to continue to fix up the city. They say, no, we don't want you. We want you to leave. I imagine that the daily news headline of that day, which should have been, the power of Jesus frees a man from a multitude of demons. That should have been the headline news. The headline news instead was, pigs plunged into the sea and are drowned. Imagine the Daily Reporter carrying that as a headline rather than the power of Jesus frees a man from a multitude of demons. Let us look finally at the mandate that Jesus gave to the healed man. 
The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, wouldn't, wouldn't it be just natural for this man who had just experienced this great miracle, he has just been freed from a multitude of demons, wasn't it the most natural thing to want to follow Jesus so that he could be an in-person witness to the power that Jesus had used to heal him? Wouldn't it be natural for him to express his gratitude to Jesus by, by going with him wherever he went? If you have just been freed from a multitude of demons, there's no better way than to express your gratitude to Jesus than by going with him wherever he went and spreading the news and being an in-person witness and saying, yes, this is who I was, but the power of Jesus freed me. Why then does Jesus command him to return to your community, return to your home, and tell your family, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, all the people that know you, tell them how much God has done for you. It's a very, very interesting command. I want to go with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. I want to go to distant lands. Um, this is Gentile territory. I want to go to Jewish territory and tell people how much Jesus did for me when he freed me from the demons. Jesus says, no, go back to your Gentile territory, to your community, and tell it there how much God has done for you. And so in our own parlance, in our own language, in our own culture, wouldn't it be cool to go to distant countries as foreign missionaries? I hear it said all the time that people want to go to the Caribbean and do beach ministry. <laughs> you know, That would be cool, would it not be? Yeah. Jesus says, no, no, not when people in your own backyard need to hear Jesus. The people in this man's community, they were close to the gospel. Remember that they just said to Jesus, no, we don't want you here. Depart from here. They're closed to the gospel. Go back to your community, Jesus says, and tell it there how much God has done for you. And so giving to foreign missions and being foreign missionaries, that is great. That is awesome. God wants us to do that. However, he doesn't want us to do that at the expense of sharing the gospel in and around Greenfield. I heard one person agree with me on that. Our church cannot not have local outreach. I made those two negatives for, a, 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 for, a deliberate, for deliberate emphasis. Our church cannot not have local outreach. I heard someone say to me just this past week that the church needs to be global. That's a combination of the word global and local. And our church needs to be both. Uh, let's, let me hasten on to the bottom line of this message, which is this. No issue, no issue that we face can withstand the power of Jesus. Whether it is demons, 
whether it is any other issue, it cannot withstand the power of Jesus. Here then are three things that you must do. I want to ask you to come and meet the Savior. Come and meet the Savior. I believe that there's somebody this morning, whether here in person or viewing me virtually, there is some person who is in despair. Because you see, despair is a common, a common condition. Whenever you find yourself in a situation that, that um, you're hopeless about, you have no idea how to get out of it, you are in despair. So I believe I'm speaking to somebody this morning who is in despair. I believe I'm speaking to somebody whose life is in the grip of evil. You are at the mercy of demons or you are at the mercy of some oppressive habit that comes from demons. Now that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus can save you from any kind of despair. Jesus can break any destructive habit that holds you captive. Jesus can clothe you with his righteousness and he can put you in your right mind. Jesus would like nothing more than to meet you, but in order to meet you, you have got to fall face down first. That's a sign that you must rid yourself of pride and come in humility. While we take a few seconds, I'm going to ask you, and this can easily become a ritual, I know, and I don't want it to be a ritual. This is real. If you're here this morning and you are in despair and you need Jesus to meet you and deliver you, I'm going to ask you to cut through the ritual and say, that speaks to me. I need Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed. <coughs> if that applies to you, would you be honest in this place and say, that is me. I need Jesus. May I see your hand if that applies to you. <coughs> Amen. Amen. I see two hands. Lord, for those two hands that were raised, I pray in the name and in the authority of Jesus that these two individuals may experience the freedom and the deliverance that only you can give. I pray that you'd make this moment real for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you this morning to live out power of your name. Now, every child of God, every child of God has been given a new name. And that new name is Christian. I don't want us to take that name lightly at all. If we used to do it in the past, let us no longer take the name Christian lightly. It means one who is like Christ. That's what Christian means. One who is like Christ. It means that Christ is in you and that he has given you the hope of glory. And if Christ is in you, then no demon can possess you because he has given you authority over them. Because he is covering you with his blood. And if it is one thing that demons recognize, in fact two, 
They recognize the name of Jesus and they recognize the blood of Jesus. And they cower whenever you use both. So I want to challenge you this morning to live in that reality. I want to also challenge you this morning to get rid of your horoscopes. Christians ought not to have horoscopes in their houses or on their person. Christians ought not to consult Ouija boards or tarot cards or anything that is a gateway for the demonic. Get rid of them. Let God fill you with his spirit and power daily. Seek after God's spirit. Let him fill you. That is what we need more than anything else. Here's my third and final challenge. Be a missionary in residence. Because you see, the best testimony of the power of Jesus is your deliverance. You and I have a deliverance story. And this deliverance story is the most powerful evangelistic tool that we have. Don't be afraid to tell your story. When you tell your story, however, you need to tell it with humility and vulnerability. Let others know that what Jesus did for you, so it means that you have to tell them what he did for you. If he freed you from something, you need to be candid about that. Tell them if he did it for you, he can do it for them as well. Be a missionary in residence. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your co-workers that Jesus saved you, and if he saved you, he can save them. Let us pray together. God, we are thankful this morning that no demon has authority over us. No demon lives, can live inside of us because you have set us free. Thank you that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. God, help us to live in the authority that the name Christian represents. Help us to be witnesses for you wherever we go, by our lives, as, by, as well as by our testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.